Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Good morning, everyone. Well, as I said at the beginning of Mass, today begins the Eucharistic revival for our parish. And the bishops of the United States called, this, called forth this Eucharistic revival uh, based on a couple things. One is that there was a study done that said those who go to Mass on a regular basis, so you folks, of them, it was something like 20% believed in the true presence. Now that's not like, if I point a finger at you, I got three pointing back at myself, all right? It's not like, how dare all of you, right? So when they, read, when they got that information, obviously you can imagine the heart of the bishops, they got very concerned that, oh my gosh, the people who are coming to Mass on Sundays, they're not sure, is that really transformed into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of a first century Palestinian man that was the only begotten son of God? Do we really believe that? And a lot don't, or they don't know or what they believed didn't actually line up with the actual church teachings. That, combined with COVID uh, decimating the amount of people who participate weekly at Mass, those two combined, the bishop said, you know what, why don't we take three years out as a church in the United States and really make the Eucharist our focus. So the first year was, in, was kind of at a national level, getting it out. Second year was at the diocesan level. You might have seen billboards throughout the area, the eight counties. And then this year, it's meant to be at the parish level. So what I want to just do today is first begin with the gospel. Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. My flesh is true food, my blood is true drink, and it brings you eternal life. First thing to notice is the difference between maybe Catholics and Protestants on this. As Catholics, we read this from the Gospel of John chapter 6, and what we realize is that Jesus is saying very clearly, baptism's not enough. If baptism was enough, he wouldn't need to say, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. He would have said, baptism's enough, and if you want to do something to remember me once in a while, have some sort of meal and symbolic meal that helps you remember me. But he didn't. He realizes his followers are baptized, and now he's showing them the fullness of following Jesus is, I want to continue to affect the healing change in your life through another sacrament known as the Eucharist. So we can stop there for at least today and just say, we see that Jesus' plan, vision for his followers, you and me, involves more than simply baptism. It involves something that he calls my true flesh my true blood. And he says it's given for the life of the world. And that's where I want to spend the rest of the time in this homily. When we eat normal food, right, it does something. It nourishes our bodies. In fact, our bodies break it down and it becomes part of us. St. Augustine says the Eucharist is the opposite of all other foods. When we eat the Eucharist, it doesn't become part of us. We get broken down and become part of him. 
The places in us that are scared, resistant, haughty, that generate all the sin, that's meant to be broken down by the Eucharist so that His life becomes more and more our life. We become more and more transformed. But as we think about that, we lack some images of what true life looks like. And so I really want to share about this past week. I flew out at 6 in the morning on Thursday morning, and I was back by 5 p.m. on Friday. I went to Minneapolis for a day to give a talk at a group called the Albacete Forum. Monsignor Lorenzo Albacete was a huge influence in my life, his writings. I never got to meet him in the flesh, as they say. But it's a group of his followers, a real nerd fest, and uh, we all got together. Uh, but it's a nationwide thing out of New York City, and we were all meeting in Minneapolis to talk about a, uh, a book that came out after he died uh, on some of his reflections. So there's quite a few people there. So when I got there, um, an Italian family who came from Milan, lived in New York City for many years, and now is in uh, Minneapolis, they kind of were hosting the event. So all the charm and richness of Italian things, wine being served at 10.30 in the morning and things like this, okay? But that night we go over to the dad's daughter's, and she had a beautiful home, it was a great day, the sun was out, it was setting over the back part of the, of the woods in their house, and there was everyone there for a little dinner party, and there was wine and cheese and meats and people sharing life and talking, and it was just a beautiful experience, simple, nothing too flashy, just people sharing life and having a meal. But then the grandfather comes, and the granddaughter, who's about 13 years old, and the grandfather, he's kind of the head of this family and of this group, if you will. And he's a linguist by trade, but he also is a great musician. And he gives his granddaughter a hug, and right in the middle of everything, they just start dancing. And, and they're singing to each other, dance with me under the moonlight, squeeze and hold me all through the night, oh baby. And it's right there happening. So simple, so loving, so beautiful, so human. About an hour later, I'm at the conference now and I'm on this panel and the first person spoke is speaking why Monsignor Lorenzo Albacetti's writings and life still have an impact in the world and they should be studied. The next gentleman was a leukemia survivor and he's still having some struggles and these writings were all about uh, human suffering and he was sharing what he's learned and what it meant to him. And then I was there to share kind of, uh, actually I'm still to this day not sure what I was supposed to share, but I shared on uh, some, some stories about him and then some of his theology. But the gentleman with leukemia, he said, Monsignor Albacetti has helped me realize how hard but how beautiful it is to be human and how reductionist the medical world is. He said, I would go in and doctors would say, on a scale from one to 10, how's the pain? And he says, I get it. He goes, without them, I wouldn't be here. Medicine, science, doctors, great. He goes, but that question is really insulting when you're struggling with leukemia. He goes, one to 10, like the pain in my bones, or like one to 10, the fact that I have to think about death and leave my family behind? He goes, what number do I give the pain, the fact that I can't play soccer with my son? Is that an eight? 
Is that a 10? See, what he was voicing was part of our humanity that gets lost in the scientific approach to life on purpose because science has to be limited to treat us like a bunch of cells and things to heal it. But there's just more to life to science. See, and you and I are being really formed a lot by science or by engineering minds or by business or by politics and the dancing at a dinner party with grandpa. The idea that I'm sick and I can't play soccer with my son. These richly human experiences are being lost. Those are the life that Jesus came to heal, nourish, and elevate. Those, those beautiful things that we're sensing there, the beauty and life and love and the dance, the beauty and life longed for in the heart of this husband and father, that is what's present and given to us in the Eucharist. It's that kind of life that Jesus came to awaken. Not a life of pleasure. He's dying of leukemia. He's struggling with all of that. Not a life of fancy, flashy. It's a simple dance with love and affection in a family. The Eucharist has everything to do with your life the other six days of the week because what you're looking for is given to us in the Eucharist. All the beauty and good things we experience the other six days of the week, they fly by like a song. We can't hold on to those moments. We just get a glimpse and say, this is life. This is why I'm alive. This is good. This is beautiful. I want this forever. I never want this to stop. And it does stop. And it flows through our hands like water. But it's still a glimpse. It's still a taste. And that would be maddening and meaningless if it wasn't for the fact that those are glimpses of eternal life. And eternal life came to us in Jesus and he remains with us in the Eucharist to affirm and heal the part of your humanity that echoes and resonates with those stories. To affirm, heal, and awaken the longings for a life like that that never ends and to burn away all the places and people we take that longing to that never satisfy, and we hurt them and ourselves. The definition of sin that the church has used most consistently comes from St. Augustine, and it's an archery term. It simply means missing the mark. So an archer tried to hit the bullseye, right? And when you miss the bullseye, you missed the mark. It was called a sin. Or if you're a basketball player, you're going to shoot a basket and you miss, that would be called sin. What sin is, is when we take these longings for beauty, for life, for meaning, and we take it to someone besides God and his plan for fulfillment. Sin is when we think that we can fulfill ourselves on our own through a new job, more stuff, more experiences, and we become experience junkies, and we're trying to constantly obsess about moving more, better, quicker, faster, smarter, funnier. And we realize it's as simple as longing to play soccer with my son, a 10-second dance with my grandpa. Sin is not we're dirty, bad, gross, and awful. Sin is our hearts are hungry and looking for a kind of nourishment so that we might live life to the full.
This is John chapter 6. He talks about the Eucharist. A few chapters later, he says, I've come that you have life and life to the full. Your everyday life has everything to do with the Eucharist because your everyday life is awakening you to a life that we can't really name exactly, but we know we're looking for it. And it took on a human face and a human heart in the first century. And his presence is still with us, even though it appears like bread and wine. At every Mass, transubstantiation takes place. And the bread and wine substance is turned into the body and blood of Jesus. Not to make us some sort of religious creature, but to make us deeply, beautifully human. I end with this final quote. Yesterday, I was reading uh, some things by Thomas Aquinas that was given to us in the breviary. I'm sure all of you were on a Saturday, but in case we weren't reading the same thing. St. Thomas Aquinas was quoting St. Augustine. So you're going to have two brilliant saints quoting each other. And it said this, If you make man your way, meaning the human person your way, your destiny, your destination will be God. If you make man your way, your destination will be God. If you make your humanity open to all of it, your real focus, your destination will be God. Not if you make it your scientific worldview. Not if you make it a political worldview. Not if you make it a money worldview. Not if you make it about pleasure and power. But if you recognize what awakens your heart and what desires are speaking to you, I want this forever. Then that heart will take you to God because he's the only one where infinite beauty, infinite life, infinite love never ends but always gets richer. And God isn't an out there. He entered the world and remains with us in the sacraments. And so on this Corpus Christi Sunday, we have a lot to be grateful for that we are given Jesus to nourish our humanity so that we might live not the most flashy lives, but the most beautiful lives where the little things are not lost on us. Amen.